0: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I am John Manuel. We're coming to you from the Marini Demo House Media Nook at World Headquarters of BaseballAmerica.com. And we thank our friends at Marini who now sponsor these podcasts. And when it comes to buying a baseball bat, Marini just changed the game, introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from Marini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball, J.J., or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free, so get the season started right. Visit your nearest demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at dmarinicom backslash demo house. And, again, we want to thank Demarini. We've been doing these podcasts for three years, JJ. We're very happy to have a sponsor. So very it's, happy. It's been a lot, I think the podcasts are a lot of fun. We enjoy doing them. Hopefully, you all enjoy listening to them. And they've been free for three years. So, uh, And they're still going to be free. And the reason they're still free is... Dean Marini and the Demo House. So welcome to the Demo House Media Nook. JJ, a very action-packed third week of December, I guess it was. In baseball, we had a somewhat somnabulent winter meetings, and then we've had an incredibly active week with free agent signings and one of the biggest trades in recent memory. We had a, a good-sized three-team trade with some big names last week at the winter meetings. But this week, this is Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, and a lot of big-name prospects involved Let's just dive right into the trade and, you know, the way that things are today. Winners, losers. Is anybody lose in this trade? Who? I guess how would you rank the three clubs as far as who got the most for the least out of this deal between Seattle, Philadelphia, and Toronto?
1: i got go to go Seattle number one because I don't think that they gave up an, a truly, you know, they gave up talent. Right. They gave up three prospects. They gave up, you know, center fielder Tyson Gillies. They gave up. Right hander JC Ramirez and right hander Philippe Lamont. None of those three, though, I think are hit that level of slam dunk, top, you know, elite prospects in the game.
0: Yeah, Ramirez wasn't even in the Mariners top 10. I think we, uh, Matt Eddy, had him 18th for the prospect handbook that goes to press tomorrow here at BA World Headquarters. So we're taking a small break from that to bring you this podcast. But. Yeah, it's amazing. Not even Gillies three top is, ten
1: guys. Gillies is a a a, a very intriguing leadoff center fielder type prospect, but you know, I'll put it this way: he's not anything like Michael Taylor, who you know, the guy the Phillies traded away in the steal. Um, that's and he's not, not that's,
0: anything like him at all. Yeah, But that's not
1: replacing like oh we lost one outfielder we got another outfielder. He's no. not the
0: same caliber of player. I agree. He may what?
1: fit. He may fit a little bit more long term what they need. They they have Dominic Brown to be the the right fielder type that Michael right. Taylor was. But
0: the but, crazy thing I think they have someone in the system who might be faster than Tyson Gillies yeah, and Anthony is. Ghost. All and right. they have a guy in Jawan James who's almost that fast. So they have speed is not a was not an issue for them. So but, I, Gillies is an odd fit. I agree. But
1: so to take that. From the Mariners' side to get Cliff Lee for those at, three guys for at a reasonable deal for this year. Now you only have him for this year right now, and right. it looks like that you probably will only have him for this year, and then you could negotiate like everyone else does after the season. But to get Cliff Lee, if you look at the Mariners, I think the Mariners among American League teams, it's hard to find someone out there who's done more. If you took look at the Seattle team now compared to the Seattle team a year ago. A lot of reason to be excited if you're a Mariner fan.
0: There's no doubt. Uh, they, there's no doubt they made the right hire in Jack Zarenschuk, and there's no doubt that Jack has made a lot of moves where not every single move that any general manager makes is going to work out, but he just has he's had an aggressive, focused direction for that team. They've gotten more athletic. They've gotten better defensively, and they've been decisive. When they've seen a player they want or a move they want to make, they make it. They're willing to pay a price for talent, and they're willing to – uh, be aggressive with those things, and whether it was their draft last year, which I thought was a you know, not a consensus draft. Uh, Steve Barron and Nick Franklin with their sec- uh, third and second picks, uh, to be precise. Those picks were not consensus picks, but they're very convicted in them, and uh, I, I happen to like both those picks as guys who I think can defend up the middle, and those are hard guys to find. And th- those picks fit right in with the rest of their philosophy, and they've executed it from the top down. Uh, you just have to be, I think, this move just fits in. Everything that Jack has done over there has been aggressive and smart. So it's not a wild aggressiveness. It's smart, it's not focused, it philosophical, the wall. aggressive. Yeah, it's, been a, it's a very consistent approach in Seattle, and it's, it's very impressive to watch from afar. I agree and, with you. I think Seattle is the biggest potential winner in this deal because Cliff Lee for one year, in my mind, is worth three guys, none of whom projects to be a star.
1: At the same time, look at the Phillies, and I, I think you can say that the Phillies, hey, the the key part of this for the Phillies is is they got Roy Halladay not for next year, right? They got Roy Halladay locked up at a really what has to be described as a below market deal, especially because of the number of years.
0: Right, I think he's right. I mean, I think twenty million dollars a year for mon- a pitcher is hard right. to say below market, but, but three years three
1: years is below market for a pitcher of his caliber. I mean, like if you compare that to the Sabathia deal, you compare that to other pitchers. Hey, John who,
0: Lackey just got five years. Right. I mean, not the same money, obviously, but he got five years. But to lock up.
1: One of the best pitchers in the game, and only have to lock him up for three more years. That that kind of gives you all the ups, that, a lot more of the upside, and a lot less of the potential downside than you know a five or six-year deal. As we've seen, you know we've seen 7 years deals in the past. Thankfully,
0: usually, those, yeah those don't te- happen teams too much have realized, anymore. Oh,
1: Seven-year deals don't really work out too well
0: for. Them. I, I, usually, the the team that gets the best player in the trade wins the trade. I mean, there there are cases where that's not true, but I think mean, this is one of those. I still think the difference between the prospects that Philadelphia gave up and what Seattle gave up, you know, Seattle gave up so much less in my mind for just the one year of Cliff Lee, but Cliff Lee is close to Roy Halladay. I'd rather have Roy Halladay as a right. pitcher, but Cliff Lee's not far off. I mean, he proved he was a number one in my mind with his playoff performance this year. He was very good in the regular season, not as good as Halladay, but you know, I'd say very good. good to very good, and then he was great in the playoffs. Yeah, let's just
1: put it this way. You can't say, hey, if we'd have had Halliday, we'd have, you know, won the World Series. Right. Because if you replace Halliday with Cliff Lee, you don't win any more games.
0: Correct. I think you're correct. I mean, that,
1: <laughs> that was not what – now, if you say you replaced Cole Hamels with Roy Halliday and you kept Cliff Lee in that rotation, then you – yeah, okay. Or you know. maybe if you just
0: replaced Pedro Martinez with Jay Happ. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they yeah. might yeah. have yeah. had, had, had the solution had in-house. I do think the Yankees were the better team. But, but yeah, I think Philadelphia gave – I was – I, I, I don't know
1: – go ahead. I was going to say, the thing I don't understand, though, is is that – I know that it made the money work, but if, the one problem, I guess, if I had any problem with this from the Phillies' standpoint is is that I don't mind even giving up Drayback to get Halliday because, I mean, you're giving up one of the better pitching prospects out there, but you're getting a, you are getting one of the best pitchers in return. Yeah. That's okay. Are
0: you, arguably, you're getting the best pitcher in the major leagues. Right. I mean, you could definitely make that case.
1: But since you had Cliff Lee locked up for next year, to me, it would have been preferable to have moved other pieces – to I, w- I would rather even lose a little bit of long-term flexibility to try to keep you know Cliff Lee. I would have rather traded away a Joe Blanton or you know and even some other pieces, if possible, to keep Cliff Lee.
0: I agree, and that's that's the only flaw in the whole thing. I think for Philadelphia is Cliff Lee at nine million or Joe Blanton at seven million. I would have taken pennies on the dollar for Joe oh, Blanton I, you know, I would to have taken a, a,
1: a Millwood a Johnny Estrada deal.
0: Yeah, that's right. Something akin to that, exactly.
1: Where you say, hey, we're getting rid of him just to get rid of the salary, even though he's got value. But I would, to you me, to have Cliff Lee for that year, you would have been I really- have to imagine
0: that a team like, say, Milwaukee, that's just desperate for starting pitching, or some of those teams that think of themselves as contenders, would take on that Joe Blanton contract for no you – know, what, what, what would you rather have if you're Milwaukee? Would you rather have to go sign the pool of free agents or trade nothing for uh, Joe Blanton, keep your draft pick, Trade a. a, a but I, we don't know what, happened, what the internal discussions were with Philadelphia. Maybe they tried to trade Joe Bland and, and really you know, did not like the sound of what they were going to get back. Right. Uh,
1: uh, but, you know That's that's all potentially possible. That's the one, the, if you had a complaint. Now, so, what do you think about it from the Blue Jay side?
0: Well, I mean, I think the Blue Jays did what they had to do. Uh, they clearly were over the barrel with Roy Halliday. And I think you have to give Alex Anthopoulos and his crew credit in that they did not. Uh, they got more back. The Minnesota guy. Just we finishing the twins top thirty the other day. And, you know, Philip Umber's gone. He's a minor league free agent signed with the Royals. Carlos Gomez, they flipped and turned into um J. J. Hardy. And Kevin Mulvey, they flipped into John Roush. So what they have left is Diolis Guerra and Double A. He finally got the double A. Yay. Uh J. J. Hardy, who's nice, but is coming off his worst season. And John Roush is a middle reliever. And that's what they have to show. For Johan Santana. And it's actually this more than you think hole. about. It's more than you would have thought because before when it was just those other players. And they kind of did well to flip uh, Kevin Mulvey into John Rouse. And let's so make it clear, it's just, it's so not a, this Toronto is not even better. a
1: hindsight. At the, time,
0: yeah, at the time, it
1: was not something where you said, wow, they really got these guys for Santana. At the time, it was like, that's,
0: that's the best the Mets have, and that's not very good.
1: Right. I mean, it was something where at the time you said, well, I guess that's the best they could get. However... You thought that an ace pitcher should probably bring more than what they got. They got four throws at the dartboard, kind of then they not four you know Kyle Drebeck is a significantly better prospect now than any of those four guys were then, and I would say that Michael Taylor is a better prospect than any of those guys were at that point i, I
0: think the, there i would I bet there would be some scouts who at the time would have taken Carlos Gomez over Taylor just because he's such an electric player, and there is question about Michael Taylor the swing plane and uh, just his contact-oriented approach, that Stanford hitter approach, where he uh, obviously has adjusted very well as a pro. He's hit .334 over the last two years. His power is kind of average, right. I think you'd say, and that's the. the, the I think the complaint is that how is this guy going to be a star? No one sees this guy being a star. But if he hit three thirty three with 20 home runs every year, he'd be a star. Heck, if he hit 300. With 20 home runs or 18 home runs, 15 home runs he'd with a little bit a, of the ability to
1: run like he has, that yeah, would, you, he'd be a, a very good player. And
0: he's, a, and he's a, I mean, I, I think that Michael Taylor's, I'm not, I guess, I think in some ways maybe last year ranking him six in the Philly system might have undersold him a little bit, and that he had a higher ceiling than say Lou Marson or Jason Donald or uh, Carlos. no probably not a higher ceiling than Carlos Carrasco, but that was a pretty stacked top six last year. When you think about it, I think Marson and Donald are both going to be. Uh, big league semi regulars this year if they're healthy in Cleveland, and Carrasco will be uh, looks like he's going to be a part of their rotation. Uh, so we'll see how good those guys are. But uh, Philadelphia has traded its prospects two, three, and four now in back to back years. So I mean, the the Blue Jays had to trade Halladay. Their hall of prospects was pretty good. Um, you know, right now uh, we're going to press with the, and we had this in the chat the other day. Uh, Kyle Drebeck steps in as their number one prospect for an organization okay. that desperately needed Neither it. a number one. And if they didn't have Kyle Drebeck, I think Brett Wallace, who they flipped Michael Taylor for Blair, for Brett Wallace with the Oakland A's, I think Brett Wallace would be a respectable number one prospect. Yes. Um, so that makes that their if, system look a lot better. And really Travis Diarno slots in at. You can, we could have made him four or five. We went up with him at five and JCR and CB at four. JPR and CB. What's his first edition? JP. Yeah. JP. Um, we still have some residual good feeling for C B from his 2008 year, but he needs to start. Take a pitch every once in a while, J.P., it wouldn't hurt. But it, He's the only J.P. left standing in Toronto. The
1: the the, the best way to put it was that uh, when we saw Zach Stewart as their number one, Zach Stewart was their number one before this, another guy that they picked up in trade. I right, mean, right. <laughs> there really was not. I mean, the Blue Jays' the farm. cupboard
0: has been left extremely bare. Yeah.
1: Well, Zach Stewart, when you saw him at number one, the best way to put it was he'd make a really good number four, number five prospect yeah.
0: system. Yeah.
1: system, and that's, you know, that's more of a, the feeling, and hey, now he's the number three, number four prospect in the system. And that makes, it makes
0: a lot more sense, and the one thing I will say is that in a small defense of the Blue Jays, a big reason why those guys, why their farm system looked so bad is they graduated guys like right. Mark Zebchinski yeah. and, and Brett Cecil so quickly to the big leagues, and if you added a little bit of pitching depth to their top ten, you know, if those guys hadn't been graduated, it would have looked right. better. The reason it looks but bad, the the player is, wise, the
1: reason it looks bad is that those guys have graduated, and, and then when they went high school draft that year,
0: their '07 draft is terrible.
1: It, it no, nothing has panned. You know, none of those guys have panned out.
0: They had a uh, yeah. a draft bonanza that year, and from the college guys, Tristan Magnuson, he's turned out terrible uh, so far, and he had a bounce back year this year. But the rest of their guys they drafted, the Tolosanos. Aarons, Jackson, Jackson, Eric Island, oh, it's really it has not gone well for Toronto. So uh, so this it,
1: was a much-needed I, – I like, as far as Toronto, more than anything else, they had to trade Halliday partly because the whole, hey, he's not going to agree to a trade during the season and all that. Right. But more than that, Roy Halliday, as good as he is, it's smart for Toronto. Toronto's operated – Partly by necessity, J.P. could not. You know, JP Ricciardi could not come out in 2008 and say, hey, this group is not good enough to win. Right. We're going to blow it up and start over. He couldn't do that because if he did that, he was essentially saying, fire me. In
0: 2008, I do think that they really thought that team would be good enough to compete. Uh, the big Because co- they still had they, – they, they, uh, Alex Rios at that time was still a good player. Vernon Wells, you just never know what you're going to get with Vernon Wells. But more often than not, you're going to get average and then – He's kind of like Darren Erstad. There are a couple of years in there where he just has giant years. Um, but they also still had B.J. Ryan, and they were paying them big-time closer money. And some of their pitchers were healthy, like Dustin McGowan. I think it was '08 when they had the great pitching year, and they just didn't hit. Um, but they they really have a uh, they never when their hitters hit, they didn't pitch, and when their pitchers pitched, they didn't hit. I'm not saying that their plans were the right plans I did not respect their process at all but they had they had some bad luck number 1 and then number 2 they really didn't draft well over the whole course of the JP Ricciardi regime they were at the one extreme where they weren't even scouting high school players and that really brings me to uh, as the rest of the podcast we'll talk about a couple stories going into the next issue as we develop some of the news that happened both rule 5 draft and this blue jay story and every issue where we have our american league If we have a top ten prospect from that division, our prospect pulse is dedicated to a feature about player development in that division. And this one being the American League East, JJ, you did a feature on the Blue Jays scouting changes under general manager, Alex Anthopoulos. And that's a, it's a fascinating story. We're going to get to, uh, you know, talk about a little bit right now as we're coming to you, the baseball America podcast, John Manuel and JJ Cooper coming to you from the DeMarini demo house, media nook here at baseball America world headquarters. And JJ, uh, uh, the 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 Blue Jays are just ex- completely expanding. there. they're doubling their scouting department basically. Uh, uh and they're, they're going from 14 to 25 area scouts, 10 to 21 pro scouts. I think I agree with you. The pro scouting changes might be even more profound than the amateur scouting changes.
1: Right. What they're doing on the uh, on the pro side is that they're going to have each pro scout is going to be responsible for two organizations. So they will be responsible, uh, the for uh, two organizations from major league down to complex league. Complex right? league. And in the past, uh, you know, it's been something where they've been responsible for like an average guy had like five organizations, which is not unusual. I mean, right. like hey, on the other end of the spectrum, there are other organizations where. They're amateur scouts, get done with the draft, get done signing players right. and then head on out and, you know, go scout, you know, pro side. And not that they're amateur guys aren't going to do a little pro scouting also. Right. But they the idea is is that if you have a scout who's scouting two organizations head to bot you know, from top to bottom, he's gonna develop a really good feel for that organization because he's gonna see these players a lot more than really I would say than any other, you know, team scouting you know another organization
0: you certainly hope so and i think that would be the idea that's one thing that i've always wondered about how much can you really get uh when you have a guy go in and do one week he sits on a team for a week to do his pro scouting and uh you know how much can you really read makeup out of that one week look or that kind of thing or see a pitcher one time a starting pitcher one time so to me i I really like that approach the philosophy of that approach it seems like it makes a lot of sense for toronto and and I guess the uh, doubling the amateur scouting, scouting staff also, how uh, is that going to be set up?
1: So what they're going to do is they're going from 14 to 25 amateur scouts at the area scout level. They're also going to have – they've also added a, le- a level of regional cross-checkers. They have now national cross-checkers, and then they're also going to have regional cross-checkers who are responsible for, uh, for basically four to five – cross-checking four to five different areas.
0: Right, um, and that's a, and that's a big difference. And I guess the way that one of their scouts uh, talked to me about it at the at the uh, winter meetings was, you know, t- basically, five cross checkers, like you said. Then he has five. Each one has four or five scouts under him, and the way it's d- divided up, and and it's really every scout has a smaller area, so you can go see players more frequently, and hopefully, you know, instead of having to bear down on your, you know, picking six or seven guys early and then bearing down on those guys, you can bear down on ten guys. You can bear down on fifteen. Right, guys. because.
1: I mean, one of the things it's going to cut down on is, is that a lot of a, a lot of what you do is, you know, you've got to do coverage. I mean, part of being an area scout is doing coverage. You have right. to see everyone in your area at least, you know, once or twice. Everyone who's draftable, right. ideally. Right, right. Well, if you have a smaller area, you get done with your coverage, and then you can go back and bear down on your top guys or a guy, a sleeper, who really interests you.
0: Yeah, and maybe you can get a sleeper cross-checked, potentially, right. when you have more cross-checkers. Right. Something
1: that you could not do in the past. Um, the other thing that I think and, uh, that they did that was interesting and I think is something that, that makes sense and teams should do on a regular basis is they also did a study to look at, okay, from 2000, 2009, pro de- Major League debuts, where did they come from?
0: Right. That was a, simple that, question. interesting idea. Simple question. But
1: you should every now and then check. Like, you know, it's something where – you may find, hey, this area that we thought was a hotbed is not a hotbed anymore, or this area that we didn't know the hotbed is.
0: Are oh, we scouting this area enough where these players are coming from in this modern era? That's an, smart. The
1: example that they found was is that Northern California, the Bay Area, ended up being one of the most productive areas in, in the U.S.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: They had a scout whose responsibility was Northern California, Oregon, Washington, right. Idaho, most of Nevada, Montana. You know, that scout was spending a lot of time... I mean, obviously, Oregon's been a pretty productive area, too, and also sure. that scout was spending a lot of time outside of Northern California. Well, when they reorganized this, they said, hey, you know, we look at this. We've got a scout who's just going to do Northern California. And you because, might be
0: missing uh, You might be missing Dontrell Willis, which doesn't sound like much now, but he did win 20 games one year, or T.C. Sabathia, or Jimmy Rollins, or their own Brett Wallace, who's a Northern California guy right. who apparently really wanted to play for the Oakland A's and is probably unhappy that he's not.
1: But so, it, it's just... Basically, any time a new regime comes in, even though, and I'll point out, the interesting part with this is is that the new regime is part of the old regime. That's right. Alex Anthopoulos came up through the Blue Jays.
0: It really gave him his break. I mean, his first job was with Montreal, obviously, and he's a Montreal native, but the Blue Jays gave him his first significant job that's baseball operations.
1: You know, and so with that, it's something It but the new regime coming in, you always kind of get that chance to kind of take a look at things and do things a little differently. And the best way to sum it up, I mean, and, you know, this, we you know, wrote this in the story, the Blue Jays are in many ways going back to a lot of what they did before because the Blue Jays were right. a scouting, you know, based system. Not that, you know, every team is in, interested in scouting. They do it different ways. But the Blue Jays were a very much a, a traditional, you know, believe in the scouts, trust the scouts, Right. and use them to basically stock a system to keep us going. And that was and
0: that's how they won two world series. Right.
1: And so the idea is is that kind of bring back some of that pride in being a Blue Jays scout and it being a, a just, they they want they want being a scout for the Toronto Blue Jays to be something that scouts for other teams aspire to be.
0: There's definitely a quality of life issue in there as well, that you have a smaller area to travel around uh, theoretically you're at home more uh, theoretically you're happier scouting for the Toronto Blue Jays than if you're scouting for someone else. Uh, definitely there's a focus on scouting and player development. There's a value placed on scouting and player development in that organization that they're hoping that will be greater than other organizations.
1: And that, that's the key part. The, the last part you said, like, I, I talked to a couple of scouts about the whole, like, you know, getting home more often and all. You know, they, they talk about having more days off and all. Yeah. And talking to scouts, they said, look, that sounds great. I'm a scout. I don't – it's going to be really hard for me to be at home when I know that someone from another team, a scout from another team is going to be going seeing a guy I like.
0: Well, I can't see – the thing with that argument is I can't see a guy being at home and just choosing, well, I'm supposed to have more days off and not going to a game. I think that you're just going to be closer to home. Right. You may may drive home more often at the end of the night. Yeah, exactly. That may happen. I think that's that's the difference. But
1: the key part you hit on the end, the key part about – to me as far as long term about this working about being a destination and all comes down to do you believe in your scouts do you give them the ability to to give their opinions and then show that you believe in their opinions Right. so that's the, the part that I think is really going to be a key to this because you know scouts say hey all the other parts are great and the Blue Jays treated their scouts they paid them well you know I mean that was really one of the probably things probably too they, well you know 80000 they,
0: they dollars for an area scout. That's twice the going beginning rate anyway.
1: Well, they paid them well. They created them first class and all that. But talking to scouts, the thing they say is, is the most important thing to me is is that when I give my opinion, does it matter? And that's, and that's huge. They, they want to believe that what they do matters. That's huge. Sense.
0: And I would imagine that's challenging in organizations that go out and uh, sign. I, I was thinking about this when I'm writing the Yankees' top 30 again, and that just when I'm on and, uh, you know, I just wonder, most of those guys, when I finish writing up, like, the future for a lot of those players, and I, even though we don't use that in the book for 11 to 30, I still write that. I had that mnemonic kind of device mm-hmm. in my head. And, uh, you know, I, to me, most of those future players are trade bait or they're reserves. I mean, like, the the Yankee profile, if you're not a star caliber player, then you're not going to I mean, like the, the, the And that's the thing, the rare exception is Melky Cabrera. If you really think about it. Because at least Brett Gardner, he's not a star, but he does have an 80 tool. I mean, he's an 80-run guy. So that's a difference maker. But Melky Cabrera is really just an average across-the-board guy. I mean, he's below average power. I mean, he had 13 home runs this year in the new Yankee Stadium. That's a career high. So that guy's an average hit, and you'll give him average hit. Maybe even fringe average because he doesn't walk, so his on-base is always kind of okay. Uh, below average power. Average to plus defense, but this is not like a seventy defender, or and he's not a seventy arm either. So and that guy is really the exception. He's been a regular for the better part of four years for New York, and he's homegrown. But, but so he really is rule. the exception. And as a rule is. If you don't have premium, premium tools, if
1: you aren't projected to, be, I mean, really, the best way to put it is if you're not projected to at some point be an all-star, yeah, as you a position just player, just forget it. Pitching, little different, right? I, they have pitchers because everyone, no one, even the Yankees, can't afford a pitching staff. And they had
0: a homegrown bullpen this year. It was a complete in the, in the playoffs, other than Brian Bruni, it was completely homegrown.
1: But as a position player, you know, I mean, the best way to put it is, is Jesus Montero, who we're taught, you That's know, right. the number one prospect. There's a possibility he's trade base. Like, he's either a DH or a trade bait probably for them because yeah. the, know, have the logical plan. places that he can play, well, you know, he can't play first base. They but have maybe, an all
0: Maybe he could learn to play left field, but he hasn't played it yet. So if he's going to start playing left field, if they if they want to play left field, I'd leave him in the Florida State League in 2010. And he's already proved he can match that league. If they want to play left field, then he'll go to Trenton next year. But their plans are, they say, send him to AAA, Scranton. He's in a catch. He's in a DH. He might play some first base. They've never mentioned left field, at least not to me. So it's the Baseball America podcast. He's JJ. I'm John. We're in the Marini Demo House Media Nook, and wrapping up the podcast, JJ, with a little Rule Five talk. We may as well talk a little uh, Rule Five, but uh it's not. Uh, it ain't what it used to be. The old ground, the old brown mare of the of the Rule Five is oh. not what it used to be. It was Was there anybody in the twenty pit players picked this year that was interesting to you?
1: No, but I will say though we have a little different opinion on this and that. The I actually said this to you before the Rule Five draft. I said, "The guy, if there's anyone who makes an impact, there's a pretty good chance that we're not even talking about him right now," because
0: that might like, be true.
1: Like Everett Cabrera was not a guy that anyone was talking about. He was
0: not before, well, not necessarily. The, but am no, no, uh, not uh, saying. But
1: like, no one was talking about him as the number one pick in last year's.
0: Not going in, but he was one of the more interesting names right. on the board. There's no doubt he was one of right. the most interesting games on the board. It just was. It was hard to imagine that he would stick. And it was hard to imagine that he would play 100 games and have a 740-ups. Right. No, so that's th- what was hard. And,
1: you know, the but thing he, about he, it is that most years, there, are, there may be a couple of interesting guys, but it is something. It's very hard. There's a reason, especially, and we've, you know, yeah. if we talked about it. When they did the rule change, now that you had one more year, it's, there are very few players out there who teams have a real tough decision. Oh, do I put them on the 40-man Right.
0: And that's the thing. I think if they had the old rules, honestly, if guys who were 2006 first-round picks, college players, that's what I meant to say, if 2006 college players had been eligible in this Rule 5, in the old rules, I bet you that MLB Network would have put that on TV, because all you have to do for the Rule 5 draft is say, Josh Hamilton, Johan Santana, Dan Ugla, yo, Kim Soria, the Rule 5 drafts on MLB Network next, or, you know, mm-hmm. if there was anyone interesting, also if they had anyone in video, but, I mean, you look at your 2006 college picks, I mean, like, Ian Kennedy probably would have been protected. Would Brett Sinkbio have been protected? Would Matt Antonelli have been protected? Probably not. Kyle McCullough, I can guarantee you, would not have been protected. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys on here, who, or supplemental second-round picks, who may not have been protected. Mike Felix, I mean, I think he, he's pretty terrible. Ronnie Borkwin banged for... No, uh, no i say some of these guys would not have, have been protected, and they would have just... But Stephen Wright, but Stephen Wright, you know, to Hawaii... They, I'm sorry, I won't do my Stephen Wright impersonation. But here's a guy who went 10-0 at A as a middle reliever. Would the Indians have protected this guy or not? He does have a good slider. I think he would have been useful, and I do think that it would have been much more difficult and a much more interesting draft under the old rules. The, the talent pool was deeper. And the real question I have, or what I wrote about in the upcoming issue of Baseball America, is why would you draft someone in the Rule 5 draft under these rules who doesn't have upside? To me, the whole point is to draft upside. If you're drafting uh, like the Yankees did, and I'm not critiquing the Yankees, but just using them as an example, They drafted Jamie Hoffman. Jamie Hoffman is basically uh, filling the role that maybe Austin Jackson might have filled on the big league team this year, which, of course, they wouldn't have done this with Austin Jackson. But a right-handed hitting outfielder who can play all three positions and and play good defense in the outfield in your fourth-slash-fifth outfielder role. That's why they got got Jamie Hoffman. They are not going to start him. He's not supposed to be an everyday player. But why would you get that in the Rule 5 draft and not say, develop it yourself? It shouldn't be that hard to develop that. Or, number two... Minor league free agency. Well, that, that's well, the part I just don't quite understand. Is Jamie Hoffman really that much better, where a minor league free agent brings you so much more roster flexibility, you can send the player down, these kind of things. Uh, that, that's where I, I wonder about the role player, rule five draft pick. does not make sense to me because of the limitations. But I think
1: it is because of, I mean, really what comes down to is economics in that. I mean, it sounds silly, but you you drafted Jamie Hoffman because you're talking about a league minimum, fourth outfitter, that really –
0: we talk about minor a minor league free bit, agent wouldn't but, be that?
1: Well, you you actually have to pay the minor league sounds crazy, but you you do pay the minor league free agent probably a, a guy who is is capable of doing that role of going up and down. You probably actually end up paying him a little bit more
0: than the minor than the the major league minimum. You no, no,
1: well, but yeah, well, if he doesn't make the team though, then you didn't you That's the thing that comes i was just
0: saying you, yeah, you're paying him in, uh, uh, you're but you're still, you're still paying a minor league salary that you might pay to someone else. Right. I mean, but I don't what think it really comes I down think to a $100,000 difference. Part of
1: it, what it comes down to is is that the, the money that is involved in this has become obsolete. Yeah, because back when it started being $50,000, $50,000 actually was a amount of money that you had to think about.
0: I was like a real, I was like a major league player's salary. Right. You know. Whereas
1: now, $50,000 is, I mean, you <laughs> know, I mean, it's it, a pittance. It's, yeah, it's a pittance by, yeah. you know, I mean, when you talk about that the. With the major league, I mean, when it's when you're talking something that's less than a fourth of what the, you know, fourth, less than a sixth of what the major league minimum is.
0: Yeah, less than like an eighth. An eighth I mean, yeah. it's like 400, $410,000, yeah. I think, so is the minimum. So
1: you're, you're talking about, it's, it makes sense at this point, why wouldn't you raise that to say, okay, it's $500,000. Yeah. If you did that,
0: then no you wouldn't see to. these role players. You know, <laughs> right. But
1: maybe they don't want to do that, but that would actually then... You would see a, a five-person, you know.
0: I'm not draft. sure how you, I'm not sure how you quote-unquote fix the Rule Five draft. I don't I think it's you, that. I don't think it needs fixing. I was going to say it's
1: not that important. It's something right. that's interesting to watch in December, right. but it's not important enough. I think hey, we, the, you know, they're, they're talking about fixing the regular draft. Right, that's spend your more time more there.
0: But I would definitely say that I think the Rule Five draft has mm-hmm. always been uh, more. Uh, it's definitely a prospect nerds kind of event, and there's nothing wrong with prospect nerds. I'm a prospect nerd myself. But um, it's less interesting even for a prospect nerd now than it used to be. I think that's something of a problem. They've almost made it completely obsolete and irrelevant with the rule rule change. Really, really
1: what it comes down to is is a couple years ago when they said, we're going to add an extra year before you have to be eligible for the Rule 5. Really, the best thing the Rule 5 draft does right now is for the players who were on that bubble who got put on the 40-man roster. You get to go to big league spring
0: training. Like Hector Noessi right <laughs> or like loke van mill you know, right. van those, mill. all
1: those guys who were in danger of being picked who teams put on the 40 man who would not have put them on the 40 man otherwise
0: and the the real the, the, the I had a crazy idea about it and we'll wrap up on this if you for my fixing the rule 5 draft which is really I swear not a big priority for me but if you did have a, add a tweak to it maybe the amount of money that a guy signed for <laughs> would affect how long you get to protect him cuz i do think there's a so For some players, it's better if they get a chance to be outside the organization and have a different organization take a look at them. But for other players, in my mind, if a play, if a team sinks six figures into a player, if they've paid you a $100,000 bonus or higher, then you can get an extra year of protection. But if they sign you for less than that, then I think That's after actually, three years of your college pick or four years of high school, you go back to the old rule. You know what? We've seen you. We didn't invest a whole lot of money in you in the first place. That means we probably drafted him as an organizational player and make him really make a decision on those guys. And if that player doesn't fit your organization's needs, maybe he fits someone else's. The,
1: the funny, the one thing that made me, when you said that, that I thought of is, is that the thing that sometimes get lost is I think, think the Rule 5 is often bad for players. Because yes. you have players who are not ready to be in the big leagues. That's fine. They get carried on a roster. Right. Usually, especially to me, it's not ever Cabrera proved to be the exception who actually stuck and was able to hold his own, right. but it's often, especially going back years, it used to be that you had these these good defensive shortstop second right. baseman who you said, hey, we can carry that guy Luis, for a year. Luis Ugueta. Right. We can carry that guy for a year because he's got a good enough glove that he can serve as a backup.
0: Yeah, I remember a guy that the uh, Cardinals carried, Miguel Mejia, all year. The, the Brewers a took
1: uh, Cruz as the number one pick. Oh, uh, yeah, the uh, guy uh, of the
0: Mets system, Enrique, yeah, Enrique Cruz. Enrique
1: I mean. Cruz, one year. But those guys, what happens is yeah. you take a guy who's already – the bat's the question.
0: Right. They're already a And then a you take off. a
1: year and say, you know what? Don't you're not really going to improve your bat this year. You're just going to actually regress because yeah. you're going to get no at-bats, and the bats you get are just going to show you how overmatched you are.
0: The Rule 5 draft would be perfect for if if basketball had – if the NBA had actual developmental league because the NBA in basketball, you actually can get better just practicing right. with better players. But you just can't do that in baseball. It's a game sport, not a practice sport. and you. You know, you play to win the game, to use Herman Edwards' quote. But, I've got all three major sports but, now.
1: But so basically you have these guys who really, maybe they probably wouldn't have been anything anyway. Yeah. But you kill their chances because what happens is they spend a year in the majors and then they go back to double-A the next year. And a lot of times with their confidence shot because, right. wow, I can't hit these guys.
0: Yeah, exactly. And,
1: and, you know, you just. They kick around as usually they kick around as a, a veteran AAA utility infielder for years after that. But I wonder if there's some of those guys who, you know, who would have been something if it hadn't been for the fact that they spent a year that they lost development time. Well, that would be
0: my rule five tweak. If I were to tweak the rule five, I'd say the guys that the teams had to early invest in, $100,000 or more. They get an extra year of development on that for those players. But if they sunk less than that into the player, they go back into the pool into the oh, old I like draft. Oh And that would yeah. See, it's not that crazy. And, but I think it's a tweak that would make the rule five more interesting and make the pool of players a better pool of players. But uh, lots of what we covered on this uh, edition of the Baseball America podcast. So JJ, I appreciate your time. Remember, you can email us at uh, podcast@baseballamerica.com. We do not have any emails the, this week. This will probably, I'm going to guess, be the last podcast of Ought 9, JJ. Last podcast of the Oughts. Are we Are going to squeeze one in next week? I think we can probably squeeze one in early next week. You know, We'll if have it set up to be a,
1: maybe a little Christmas gift.
0: If not next week, uh, the week after Christmas, we probably will do one because we'll be in the office a little bit for that. Um, I know that Aaron Fitt and I in January will come at you with our podcast. first college podcast Coming. of 2010. Uh, From the ABCA convention down to Lowe's uh, in Dallas. Maybe
1: I can loosen up the vocal cords and give you in the year 2010.
0: If you do that for next week's special podcast, that would be tremendous. So That would be coming to you from the DeMarini Demo House Media Nook as Baseball America's podcast is now sponsored by DeMarini. Because when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free, so get the season started right. Visit your nearest Demo House today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demohouse. So, for DeMarini and for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.